0: Welcome to Reboot Ed, the podcast where we talk about big ideas and issues in education and never come up with any answers. I'm Andrew Schwab, your co-host, and uh, it's good to be back. I've been gone for a while. I'm uh, coming to you from a very dark uh, garage, (laughs) actually. And I'm joined, as always, by... Mike Vomert. Caught you sleeping, didn't I? Yeah, you did. I,
1: you, I didn't know I was supposed to uh, introduce myself. I might mispronounce your name or something, you know. Um, you you and everybody else. No big deal. Um, but the big deal is that um, we are joined by uh, James Sanders, who is uh, Director of Innovation for the EdTech team and uh, has an interesting history. But uh, the, the big part of this conversation is going to be about James' works with uh, – future ready schools. So James, thanks for being with us. Um, Seahawks won. I, I understand you're a diehard Seahawks fan, so uh, this this won't be a, a downer, I guess, in terms of uh, how it's going, right?
2: Yeah, I, I, grew, I grew up in Seattle, um, so and I was born in the early, early 80s, and so we hadn't won anything until last year in terms of any of our major sports franchises. Um, so, last year was our first time, so it's uh, been fun to finally be from a city that actually wins anything in American sports.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, it's been we, a while. Yeah, we won't talk about the uh, S- the Seattle Supersonics and the uh, fun times that that yeah. storied franchise had before it went, went the way of the Dodo Bird. But uh, anyway, thanks, thanks for being with us. Um, Really, really excited to have this conversation because of the work that you're doing. I think it's, I, I think it's the kind of uh, conversation that districts and teachers need to be having all over the place. And and so, um, to kind of flesh these ideas out, it's going to be a really, really cool thing to do. So, um, tell us a little bit. You started out in in South Los Angeles, as I understand it, as a teacher.
2: Yeah, so I uh, got my start teaching um, middle school in South Los Angeles. I um, taught at uh, Carnegie Middle School, which is on the Compton-Carson uh, border. And then my last few years in L.A., I taught at um, KIPP Academy of Opportunity, which is uh, in, right in the heart of South Central, uh, the corner of Slauson and Crenshaw. Um, and you know. Just, that was my introduction to, to education and teaching, and I got very lucky in that, um, around 2010, uh, Google decided that they were going to try to figure out how to make a computer. Um, they had never done it before, um, and so they built these prototypes that were called CR48s, and um, chose a few schools around the country to try them out. And so, um, long story short, I ended up being one of the first teachers uh, to teach one-to-one with Chromebooks, and it was no doing of my own, complete luck. Uh, and it completely revolutionized uh, my, my viewpoint and perspective on, on all of this. Um, and, you know, up until that point, I'd been trying to figure out this whole like direct instruction model where you teach and then the kids practice what you taught them and then they take it home and do homework. And I just wasn't very good at it, I didn't get it. Um, you know, I didn't enjoy being at the front of the room, you know, trying to explain to them these concepts of medieval European history or, you know, medieval South African history or whatever. Um, you know, it wasn't very interesting to them or it wasn't very interesting to me. And so um, getting the chance to give each of the students their own device and being completely on the web and um, moving in that direction completely changed my my viewpoint. Um, so soon thereafter, I, I joined the Google team um, while staying in the classroom and helped them build and, and launch the, the Chromebook uh, strategies at ISTE in 2011. And that was a whole lot of fun and, and ended up spending two years after that working for Google um, on their YouTube team. Um, so I built YouTube for teachers and oversaw the K-12 content creation for YouTube EDU on the K-12 side. Um, left left Google to start a in the classroom to start a company called Class Badges. It was an ed tech startup um, trying to figure out ways for teachers to be able to award digital badges to to students. Um, It was a lot of fun, learned lots. Um, The company ended up selling last year. Um, My co-founder, Esther, sold it, uh, which was fantastic. Um, I moved out to the Bay Area and um, oversaw innovation for KIPP schools, for the schools up there in the Bay Area, and a lot of fun playing around with these ideas of blended learning and personalization and figuring out what that looks like in the classroom, um, and then decided to, to give all that up to move to Washington, D.C., um, and try my hat at government. So I was a White House Innovation Fellow focused on education technology um, for the past year. And it was there that I started to like kind of look at some of the, the problems at a bigger scale and figure out what levers we could use. And um, one of the biggest eye-opening moments for me was when we decided to ask students what they thought about the role of education technology in the classroom, or the role of technology in their learning, um, and we created this thing called the White House Film Festival and asked them to create videos telling us why technology was either important or how they viewed it. Um, we got thousands of video submissions, and it really catalyzed a lot of these, um, or calcified or whatever the word we want to use, a lot of this um, thinking that I had before about why this work is important. I think in Education technology. We got into this argument that should computers teach kids or teachers teach kids, and it was this false dichotomy. And you know, kind of just you know reaffirm my belief that you know what, it's a great teacher empowered with amazing technology that creates the learning environments of today. Um, and seeing that we were really bogged down as a, as a nation in a lot of these ideas of testing and standards and you know moving to digital or not digital, and just a lot of infighting and um, you know, the came sat together as a team and said, "We need to do something different." And um, the amazing leadership over at the the Department of Ed, um, their team came up with this thing called Future Ready Schools. This idea that, like, hey, you know, if we could get superintendents to agree that, you know, this is the new north star for what schools should be. This is the resources the teachers should have, and this is the support that everyone that working in this space, you know, deserves. Um, we could do something very different. And so, you know, they came up with this thing called the Future Ready Schools Pledge, invited superintendents around the country to sign it. I think there's, you know, roughly 1,500 superintendents that have signed it, representing um, north of 10 million students. I'm really saying, hey, you know, it's not about all these other things. It's about just making sure our schools, you know, have what they should have. This is 2015, and we're still talking about 21st century skills. I mean, we're going to be 25% done of this century. And, you know, we're still looking at some of that early stuff. So, I mean, you know, back in the, when I first started getting into this education technology space, you know, working closely with, you know, guys like Andrew or people at the tech team or people like Google, you know, a lot of this stuff that we keep talking about, um, it's glad to see this finally being pushed to the forefront of just what great education should be rather than it's like, oh, those, you know, guys and gals play around with this technology stuff. That's not interesting to me versus, no, this is what just education is today. You know, when we talk about whether it's buying cars or buying computers or fridges or building houses, you know, there isn't this, like, oh, no, we should use the methodologies that worked 100 years ago or all this old technology. No, like, whatever's the best available, we should do that. Um, and for some reason, up until this point, education hasn't been, and it's good to see that we're now finally moving into that space.
1: You, um you, you, you mentioned the, the the direct instruction model which is which is really the experience you had in school it's certainly the experience I had in school um, the teacher was the sole source of information with a little supplementation from a textbook or or whatever um, I, I, I had the same experience as a as a science teacher that that you talked about I, I've never had a student that I've met on the street or has come back to, to see me and And I've never had a kid say, wow, that lecture on the intertidal zone changed my life. Um, But the experiences that the kids had and the things that they got to do or the field trips that we took, um, those are the things years and years later that my former students have always talked about. The things they enjoyed and the things that they got most out of those courses were more experiential, things that... They were participating in absolutely in a direct way um, that's the sort of thing that future ready is talking about
2: yeah i i and I, I think and the reason why I think it's important for us to slowly move in that direction is because if you look at you know our generation and the past few generations, and I know that all of us are probably different generations, but we've really proven. That we've done a great job of.
1: That's James saying I'm old, Andrew. I, I, I was going to say that, but I was going to let James.
2: The most <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, the, <laughs> the idea that we've proven as a species that we can mess things up. You know, and some of the startling facts that really just make it clear for me today is that in 2015, 40% of all the world's trash is still burned in open air fires. Mm-hmm. And when the, the plane recently went down um, in, in Asia, the, the Air Asia flight, the biggest impediment to discovering it and finding out where it went down was trash in the oceans. You know, and that's just illuminating one of the many problems. You know, I think 2014 was the warmest record in the history of recorded history.
1: Um, it was, and, absolutely, and for North America. America,
2: yeah. We've proven that we do a good job of messing things up, but yet, you know, we have an education system where we believe that this idea of these amazing multiple-choice worksheets is going to create a generation of kids that can solve these problems. It's no. You know, we need to go into the classrooms and say, hey, like, a lot of these problems that we have, there are no solutions. And so getting them conditioned to this fact that they're going to be needing to throw out ideas, test them out, fail, try again, try again, and give them problems that don't have solutions because a lot of the stuff that we are facing as a species, there aren't solutions to yeah, and so I mean to, to bring it back to the future ready, it's just you know one of the tenets in the future ready pledge and something that we at, at Tech team believe is this idea of an empowered teacher, and I think a lot of us as educators go into the classroom, you know, with this idea that you know what we're doing matters and we are going to you know be creating citizens for for tomorrow, mm-hmm. um, and you know view our role as super important, um, but you know, a lot of the, whether it's the legacy, bureaucracy, funding, limits us from having the tools that we need to do our jobs. And so the hope with Future Ready is, you know, one of the pieces, an important piece is just equipping each teacher with what he or she deserves. You know, the infrastructure shouldn't be something that we have to fear every time we decide to pull out the computers and do a lesson with them in our classrooms, like will the internet work and what's our backup plan when it breaks? you know, or being able to afford the latest and greatest, you know, either online tools or physical hardware. You know, all of our greatest hospitals and all of our major cities have the tools of today. But uh, those same cities have schools that don't have the tools of today when it comes to educating. And it's like, why are our, our prisons and hospitals and all these other things priorities when our schools are not? And so the hope is, Future Ready will help illuminate some of that and then help superintendents make some decisions to make things a little bit
1: better. But part of it is a pedagogical viewpoint. Um, A lot of those schools, I mean, the money exists. We've gone one-to-one in my district, and we've done it in three years with essentially the same funding and the same money that we had before. It wasn't like the government had to give us a special bank account so that we could go purchase this kind of stuff. But schools have this pedagogical framework that really does harken back to a period of time when the teacher was standing in front of the room. And we've still got principals who walk around and evaluate teachers based on what they see in terms of direct instruction and, you know, whole group and all of these, these old sorts of concepts. What cracks me up is, you know, the metrics about dropout rates in high school um, if if we use that as a gauge of how good schools are doing in terms of preparing students for the future that that you are talking about creating citizens, I mean we're getting a D or an F. Um, you know that that's just and, and that's why education's own metrics. It's it's not somebody from the outside creating a rubric that evaluates it. It's what we do. It's it's the way that we have worked for the last thirty years. I find it fascinating that we can't say, this isn't working, let's talk about something different uh, in a more universal way. So I think the conversation that you guys are having with Future Ready is absolutely critical, um, maybe essential to the future of education itself, because as Will Richardson talks, you know, teachers are going to be obsolete because kids outside of school have access to learning and and information in ways that didn't exist 20 years ago, and schools aren't the sole source of learning anymore.
2: One of the things that's really special, kind of building up what you just said about this initiative, is it's not a prescription. You know, future ready isn't a prescription, nor is it a destination. In fact, the the initiative at its premise is built upon this idea of asking the question, "What does it mean to be future ready?" Um, and those two words itself, you know, invites discussion. You know, what should we be preparing for? So, if you look at something that the state of Hawaii did, and Hawaii is unique because it's a school district and a state all in one. Um, You know, they have created an entire page dedicated to describing what it means for them to be future ready in their goals. And it's not a destination. It's not a three-year plan, and once they arrive at year three, they're finished. You know, school districts having the ability to articulate it, what it means. And for us, an ed tech team, we have our own definition for what it means to be future ready. You know, for us, future ready means having leaders that have the courage to take risks, so courageous leadership, empower teachers, students with agency, the idea that learning is more about application and applying what they've the skills that they've gained and then also inspiring spaces. But that's what it means to us, and we're not saying that this is the answer but it's inviting this conversation and a dialogue, whereas a lot of the big reform movements to date are really a, a prescription, saying here's the medication that you need to take in order to fix all of our schools, and that leads us down the path because what makes a high-tech high in San Diego great is very different than what makes a Deerfield Academy on the East Coast great, very different from what makes a KIPP schools versus a private versus you know a stellar dis- district in Florida. You know, everybody approaches these problems different, but that's what's beautiful about, you know, not only our country with 50 different states operating and creating their own education systems, but at the same time, a lot of the stuff that we've tried to date is like, no, here's the standardized test that we should prepare students for. Here's how we can control for it. Here's this curriculum you should step in front of students and read. And I think we've done a disservice to kind of the original... Ideas of what a school could be is a place where you know kids are working on big ideas and interacting and collaborating and it's stuff that we as educators talk about all the time but we get overwhelmed with a lot of the bureaucracy that we're forced to implement like, these are the standards this is your kit this is what you have to do and here's how it works at our school versus you know what do you think it means to be future ready?
1: Um, I, I believe you're the author of a, a comment uh, I, I There's a a thing on Edutopia about the five minute film festival, and and you made the comment I believe that the current debates around testing standards unions charters choice and tenure are undermining teaching and learning. Um, I think that's pretty much what you're talking about. But comment on on the, the dichotomy between the future ready sort of paradigm and the things that you mentioned in that quote which every time i see conversations of this ilk taking place those are the pushback sort of things standards yeah. um, you know unions teaching uh, that kind of stuff yeah,
2: and, and let, me, let me be very clear, you know, these are just my my opinions or, you know, what we believe in at, at EdTech Team. It's not the stance of the federal government, it's not the stance of the other partners. Future Ready Initiative itself is a collection of 35 plus partners, you know, all working for some some common ideals, not just, you know, getting schools what they need to, you know, operate and do a modern education, but we have very different viewpoints on a lot of these
1: issues. Who, who are the Who are the thirty five partners? Or can you classify them as I, I don't name all thirty five, but <laughs> number one, no. So
2: futuredeschools is the is the website that the, the Alliance for Excellent Education is a group that is running it, um, and there's a list of partners there. But folks like um, Edutopia, uh, folks like ISTE, um, the National Parent Teachers Association, um, a lot of the uh, groups that are the you know state level IT folks. Um, student Voice, which is a student organization, EdCamp, um, um, lead you know, a bunch of different groups like that. So, you know, you get a bunch of different perspectives because how one Edutopia approaches something is probably different than how ISTE might approach something. But at the same time, I think today a lot of us have been, um, Digital Promise is another, is another highlighter, ed Surge have been kind of like all running in our own directions for how we think education could work. and what. My hope is that future ready can be kind of that common threads that keep us talking about or connecting what we do. And I personally, and this is just speaking for me, you know, struggle with some of the issues that you raised in the quote around, you know, teacher tenureship and um, unions and choice and things like that. I mean, I come from a family of mill workers when my father being a you know a union rep and that was where I'm from. But You know, I started out teaching in the public schools, and then in L.A.U.C. they decided to eliminate all the new teacher positions because of cutbacks. And so I wound up taking a position in a charter school, something I never thought I would do, um, just because I needed a teaching job in in Los Angeles. And so that kind of opened my eyes to that different world. Um, And so that doesn't mean that, you know, this is a movement. And I think, you know, when I made that choice, it was like, oh my gosh, he's now working at a charter school, or oh, you know, this infighting over tenureship and all these different questions, and I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, we spend so much time fighting about those issues that we've just had three generations of kids come through our through our schools where all we've talked about is, like, job security around our, our teachers. Though I think it's important. I don't think it should be priorities one, two, or three, um, because making sure our kids are prepared to solve some of the greatest problems should be problems one, two, and three not you know all these other things that we spend most of our time writing about and talking about.
0: Well and and looking at where we're at as far as you know Mike had talked about his district being able to make a transformation there are a lot of districts out there that are as well I think having that common framework and being able to talk about things with a common language is very important it's one of the things that we we're working on with teachers in our classroom, right? You look at the SAMR model and other ideas of having this common language that you can talk to so that as you are um, trying to move forward in a direction, you've got everybody moving towards the same goals and objectives. And without that framework, minus that framework, everybody's going to be doing their own thing. It's kind of like what you talked about, James. There's people doing all kinds of different things all over the country. Not everything's going to work for everybody else. I think in the past we've had this idea that somebody's going to come up with the perfect model or the perfect program, and then we'll be able to replicate that out to everybody else. When in reality, being able to have a common set of ideals or, or goals or objectives to talk about, and then have everybody work towards those in their own way, is mm-hmm. kind of what you would hope for with a common standards or Common Core standards. Except we get tied up in that standards discussion about what standards should look like, but. I think just just being able to have a discussion about um, a common set of goals and values is really important, and it's going to be critical for districts as we try to figure this out because this is, uh, you know, it's one of the most exciting times to be in education, but it's also one of the most, um, I think, disruptive. Yeah. I
1: mean,
2: to back up what you're saying, I think. One of the examples that sticks out the most in my mind is, is the Khan Academy. We keep, people keep pointing to it as, you know, the solution for scalable solutions in blended learning or whatever. Um, when I was at KIPP in the Bay Area, we ran one of the first Khan Academy pilots um, trying to figure out if this is a tool that could be used in a classroom setting, not just this amazing platform that's online, um, and we had a bunch of teachers using it across our schools. Um, and it was a fantastic experience and you know and the platform was amazing but what I found was that the teachers or we found that the teachers that you know were empowered to leverage it how he or she saw fit were the ones that saw the most results from the program the teachers that felt like or it kind of looked like more of a prescription saying here's the tool that you should use it didn't work it wasn't effective you know and it came down to like you know what yeah it's a great tool but in the hands of a great math teacher learning how to leverage that tool effectively. It's not like, oh, wow, we don't have money for math teachers this year. Let's just put the kids on Khan Academy and call it good. You know, at the end of the day, great teachers equipped with amazing technology and training is what has transformed good schools. And you can ask that to, you know, Bill Gates or Diane Ravitch. They'll probably agree that making sure the teachers get the training and the support and the resources they need to do their jobs effectively is, you know, 1A before they get into some of the political stuff that they start fighting about.
1: It's, it's really a matter of, of having a hardcore discussion about pedagogical approach. H- how am I going to frame what it is that kids are doing in my classroom? Are they going to sit there idly while I lecture, or are they going to sit there and work on directed instruction sort of worksheets, or are we going to take a different path and create a framework where kids are really focusing on becoming learners, and all that standard stuff is just sort of slid in behind the scenes as it's mm-hmm. as it's needed for that learning environment that's a radically different approach for many many teachers
2: it, it, it is and and I and I don't think I, I don't think we know the answers for how to go from where we are today to where we all kind of think we want to be in 5, 10, 13 years from now and one of the things that I'm very excited about learning over the next year is uh, we're doing these things called future-ready school summits. So futurereadysummit.com. summitcom you can look about it. Here at EdTech Team, we're producing these events for school teachers and school leaders to come together and, you know, spend some time engaging on sessions around empower teachers and courageous leadership um, and really, you know, approaching it as to, like, we don't have the answers. Wanting people to come in and experience amazing sessions from people like, you know, Andrew or Jenny Magara or Ramsey Musalem and You know, really trying to figure out, you know, what are the things that make people change their practice? I think in the EdTech space, people that are listening to this podcast, we've done a really good job of empowering these 5% of EdTech educators. And we all live in this bubble. We all have five designations. We all do shows or tweeting and all these other stuff. But, like, the other 95%, what moves the needle with them? You know, how do we make it from just EdTech being this club to, you know, amazing technology in the hands of great teachers being just kind of the standard and that's the problem I think everybody has to solve here in the next few years if we're going to see radical change um, and so with these with these Futurity Summits that's the thing that I'm trying to learn is you know like who comes and what does it mean for every other teacher and how do we reach them because I don't understand that that's a problem that I have yet to figure out I think is one that um, is super important.
0: Well in reaching, reaching every teacher with Technology is, is I think, a problem everybody's trying to solve. I don't. Uh, my well, so I'm hoping that this tidal wave of technology in the classroom is is a forward movement, and we don't see it kind of wash back out to sea. As a horrible metaphor, but um, we, we we are in the middle of this transition, and I, I see us, you know, moving down the the path here a little bit where technology is just part of good teaching, and and I hope that all of us can get there and it sounds like what you're working towards is figuring out what what that means and what that looks like for anybody or everybody as a as it relates to them Um, I know in our district we're doing a a, we have a a tremendous amount of professional development around this in a lot of districts I don't see that I see that technology comes in and there's not a lot of professional development that follows up and and certainly not a lot of follow through right Um, and without that you will not have that transformation of pedagogy, and the, the instruction won't look any different. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that is a huge um, problem that, that exists out there. So it would be interesting to see what the discussion ends up being around that.
1: Um, and along those lines, is there is there conversation with um, colleges and universities and teacher training programs about integrating these conversations into new teacher development?
2: I have no idea. I'm, I'm sure that they're happening at some level at some other place, but I have not been a part of them at all. Um, I think it's an important issue to raise, though. You know, right, what is this next generation of teachers, you know, saying, you know, we maybe not going to be able to change everybody that's been in the classroom so far, but, you know, making sure that the next ones that come in are equipped with those tools and mindset and resources. Um, but, yeah, I have no idea. That's a great question.
0: Uh, and I know that, uh, like, our, our local university, um, the Department of Ed has actually had discussions around this, and they've went to, like, the Kraus Center with their teachers, um, their professors, and had, you know, some training and discussion about what, what do teachers need to know um, as they come out of their ed program. So um, I don't know that it's universal and that everybody's doing it, but uh, it's definitely an area that should be looked at because... I think as districts, if we get new teachers in, um, it would be nice at some point if we didn't have to do all the basic stuff to get them up to speed on, you know, what does a 21st century or future-ready classroom look like and, and how to use basic technology in the classroom to uh, to affect instruction, so.
2: And, and my biggest goal, I mean, is that we learn from it. Whether future-ready is a thing that we're talking about in a year or not or two years or not, like, I don't think that's the point is that you know that this moment in time is valuable like having you know a diverse group of 1500 superintendents and a tech team who work with schools uh, around the world all talking about this one concept is definitely a moment in time you know whether it's moment that we build upon and it grows into something you know a lot more meaningful and a lot more special who knows or it crashes and burns. Is just making sure that we are extracting as much value and learning from this opportunity as possible, so that whatever the next initiative is, or we are looking for the next iteration on this current initiative, we're able to build on those learnings. Um, so I think that's what we're most excited about, you know. And through our future ready summits um, and our tech team, being able to meet with other people. So I think my big goal, and I think if the members of my team would agree, is trying to create this community of schools around the world that are all trying to, you know, that are great examples of, you know, people continually innovating and continuing trying to do new things and um, leveraging the tools to their their most. And, you know, and it's something that I don't think we, we, see, we see enough. Um, and we don't want to create another community that you have to, like, jump through these 10 different hoops to get into. <laughs> but also, you know, it's inclusive enough that, you know, it's meaningful. I don't know. Um, so that may be random jargon that you guys don't, I mean, I'm just well, all over
0: the place. I recognize not, that. that.
2: Um, okay. but it makes sense that's, in my head. And so that's what, yeah, that's back,
0: what back back to day. the show. That's okay. Right. That's okay. Right. 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 I mean, I mean. You know, and, um, but, but no, you made a good point. I mean, there are other organizations out there. Some of them are pay to play and you, you get in and, and they, they want to give you a template for, you know, here's, here's what we see. Here's what you should do basically. Right. Um, you know, project red was a big one with one-to-one, you know, it's here, here are the steps you need to take to do that and less discussion and, and more kind of prescribed like you were saying before. So, um, I, I hope it becomes a, a national discussion and we do see a lot of conversation around this because I do think it's really important um, for education moving forward. Um, whether that's future, future ready next year or whatever. But, um, you know, the, I think the opportunity is out there now, to start having these conversations because in a lot of districts the technology is there the practice may not be there yet right a lot of a lot of districts jumped in and bought a ton of technology to prepare for testing and now and whether,
2: I was just gonna say whether it's just me talking to you guys or, or whomever is listening you know whatever those ideas you have for whatever project it is just put it out there. I think one of the scariest things with taking Future Ready to this scale is it gets a lot more people involved, it gets messy You get critics and all of these things, and that's just a product of, you know, shipping your ideas. We're all able to construct perfect solutions in our brains for how we see the world. Uh, But that second you put it out there, that's when it's, like, it's scary, and that's the hardest thing. And every time I see somebody say something negative about Future Ready, it, you know, makes me cringe, but it's, like, that's the process, you know, and if it's... If it was just perfect, it means it would just live in one person's head, and that would be it. You know, ship those ideas that you have, however radical they may be. Let's figure out why they're wrong. Let's figure out why Future Ready is wrong, and let's iterate from there. You know, everything that Google shipped in its first form was wrong. I'm sure if we all had Google Search 1.0 on our desktops right now, we'd be frustrated by the results that we were getting. Mm-hmm. But it was the idea that they put it out there, they shipped it, and iterated upon it where we now have a tool that's like, wow, this is super useful. I couldn't imagine my life without it. So just kind of a call to action for whomever it is, even if it's just you, you know, you Andrew or you Mike, you know, just ship it, yeah. put it out there and then Right now
0: it's just us, so that's all you get. But, <laughs> no, it's a good message. I think the iterative process is really important. And it's it's being being a good educator, part of being a good educator is reflection, right? Being able to reflect on what's working and what's not and go back and, and adjust. I think that's just
1: Hopefully, part of what we do is—is um, is part of this to curate that conversation somewhere. I, if I go to org or you know whose blogs do I need to read um, to you know to how to read? Of... What? When did that happen? <laughs> I don't know. The, the, the UCLA figured I knew how to read, but I—I I think they just gave me a degree to get rid of me. Um,
2: A couple things I need to point out. So at futurereadyschools.org, that is the the government's uh, site in partnership with the Alliance for Excellent Education. Those are the people that are running it. Um, They're pulling together 12 regional symposiums for district leaders to come together to have these discussions. Um, At EdTech Team, we're hosting Future Ready School Summits, where we're pulling together um, teachers and folks to have that conversation. And then we're also just using the Future Ready hashtag, so hashtag futureready. Um, and sharing some of those ideas so you see different districts publishing websites um, and I will share a couple in the chat so you guys can add in the in the show notes um, so the state of Hawaii created a future ready page so if you just do a Google search for future ready Hawaii or future ready Palo Alto you get two examples of districts describing their plans to become uh, future ready so the idea is more of a conversation so hopefully you know, all of those 1,500 districts eventually will publish their their vision for what it means to be future-ready and kind of sparking that dialogue. Um, our work at EdTech team isn't just U.S.-focused. We are, you know, working with schools uh, around the world, asking them to kind of tell their stories. One other thing that's really interesting, and I, and I may get in trouble for, for saying this, is that, you know, we have this window of time before the new tests really start to count or right. matter. You know, so we'll be taking them in June. You know, Park or Smarter Balance, or if you're in a state that's opted out, and then it won't be 12 months until we get. You know, after that, where we take them again, where we get this like, did you grow or not grow situation again. So we have this like 18-month vacuum, of like, hey, if you're a school, a district, a teacher, like, you just do what you think is best at the best of your ability, and let the test scores be a byproduct of just great whatever that is. Um, because you're not going to get slapped on the wrist for not meeting AYP, annual yearly progress for that year or whatever it is. You know, just do the best you, you know, and let the rest fall where it may because if you guys are falling a press like I am, who knows where things are going to be at a national level in, in 18 months. So, you know, just say, forget all of that. What matters to us as a district? What matters to us as a school? And how do we just do that and let everything else just fall into place?
1: that's exactly the conversation we've had for the last two years in my district and it's it's really been exciting because the the innovation is all over the map the things that teachers are doing in their classrooms is tremendously different school to school and even classroom to classroom Um, and all of it you, you walk in these rooms you see kids engaged you see kids working and 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 there's clearly some learning going on. Uh, it's it's literally impossible to get empirical about it and say you know what kind of learning and 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 how is that going because we don't have any reference points in terms of large scale assessments. But my concern is that when we get those large scale assessments, all of that innovation is going to kind of be curtailed in terms of what the leadership of the district or the school sees as those things that are important in order to generate that growth and those test scores so we've got this wide sort of expanse now and it's gonna get narrowed again like it was with the uh, with the last batch of standards in the No Child Left Behind era Um,
2: I'm sure it's really hard and I have no idea I mean I taught medieval history at the middle school level. Like, the stakes couldn't have been lower you know, in terms yeah, of like, right. performance and meeting metrics so, you know, I definitely can, I mean, sympathize. Those are real concerns and I think, you know, if you're teaching you know, math or you're a school leader making those decisions, that's really, really tough so it's easy for me to like say, hey, take those risks and do that stuff. Yeah, but right. I feel like, a lot is riding on this, you know, if we don't get this right or schools don't stand up and say, hey, this is what matters, we're going to Quickly fall into the like, what's the best tool to make sure kids can do the best on this test, and end up with a generation of kids that take great tests and you know, and once those you know jobs where you can drive cars go away because it's all automatized and it requires a lot more thinking and creativity, we're going to have a bunch of kids who can't compete and do that because it's like, wait, there's no multiple choice question to fill out. So I don't know. Yeah, I know we're getting we're getting late, but that's you know.
1: So. No, but you're absolutely right, and I, and I think it's it's. It's that approach that you were talking about in terms of do these things that you think are best for your kids in terms of creating an environment where they can become learning or learners, and then let the test scores take care of themselves. But if we shift that focus back onto literally constructing our classrooms and our lessons to focus on the test primarily, mm-hmm. what's really important in terms of learning and and you know being comfortable with looking at hard ideas is going to go to the wayside again.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of it's going to come down to how, how a district leadership approaches, exactly um, what that looks like once we do get results back and it is a good opportunity. Now I've been telling folks for the last couple of years, it's a good opportunity because we're kind of in this, this vacuum where you, you don't have test results. Um, it's kind of the wild west as far as standards go, and so it's a great opportunity to experiment, try new things, and see what happens. And um, hopefully, we don't have that constriction. But I do think that n- not getting a more narrowed focus really is going to come down to leadership and what does that look like in eighteen months. And that's why I think this conversation is really important now. So,
1: so all right. Well, you as we as wrap we're wrapping, up, Mike? you got one. I, yeah, there you go. I do. I I have one one sort of question um, it, along those lines. Uh, um, the summits that you talked about with EdTech Team, how does one go about getting one of those summits in an area? Like, How do, how do I call up EdTech Team and say, we want to do this in my neighborhood for the yep. schools and districts around here? What's the process? How flexible is that? Or where do I go to see one of those summits?
2: Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're watching this show um, or you know you can hear this question, definitely just email James at edtechteam.com, and I would be glad to give you the white glove, like walk you through all the pieces, and discuss what would be best. But for people that are looking to just attend one of these summits, so a couple of things: uh, futurereadysummits.com um, is the website where you can see the six that we have up right now. Um, we have Chicago, Iowa, and North Carolina here and. I think uh, one more that's going to go up there pretty soon here in the United States, and then we have Brazil and Switzerland that we're doing internationally. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I'd love to see is districts that are really fired up about this or teachers that are really fired up about this, figuring out how to get one of these in, in your neighborhood so that we can, you know, together build this larger community. So each of these are an event that will exist in this one place, but it's part of creating this bigger tapestry. Of, of events where teachers are coming together and having these discussions you know i think you know a lot of the times that we are as educators beholden to the conversations that are happening at much of a higher level so hopefully future becomes this grassroots movement which just happens to be one where all of these superintendents have signed on the dotted line saying that we think this is important but i think everything going forward should be teachers and parents and school leaders saying hey we want schools that where we are empowered to make these decisions. We are equipped with the tools that we need to do our jobs and our students have opportunities to be agents over there learning um, a lot of the stuff that's missing. So, you know, future ready for the stuff that's out there already, but you know, James at if you want to talk about getting one in, in your area.
0: All right. So there you go. Um, well, James, I, I want to take the opportunity to thank you for coming on um, and talking to us about future ready schools and it's a, uh, it's a really important and timely topic, so definitely be watching to see how that goes. Um, people can follow you on Twitter?
2: Yeah, they can. Um, it's in the little lower third there, uh, James T. Sanders on okay. uh, Twitter.
0: Yeah. Cool. And then they can find you at Team. And uh, Mike, you're not blogging anymore, are you? I am. Oh, okay. That
1: just That's got off. That's good. <laughs>
0: So um, you can find Mike. He's at rioschools.org blogging somewhere. He's also, I don't even know what your Twitter handle is anymore. It's been that long. <laughs> what are you? There you go. Walmart 805.
1: Walmart 805.
0: It's Walmart. You can find him. Um, and I'm another Schwab on Twitter. Also at, uh, what am I? AnotherSchwab.com online blogging every once in a while. And um, again, James, thanks for coming on. This yep. has been another episode of Reboot Ed Podcast, and we'll be back at some point in the near future hopefully we'll talk to you again thanks everybody
2: thank you so much guys
0: music by kevin mcleod